wonderful opportunity this morning to worship God together, triune God. We've been reminded, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to gather as a community of faith, a covenant family before the Lord. We want to talk about that this morning. It's a busy morning. We'll have the Lord's table, and we don't want to rush that, so I will try to be briefer in my message this morning in order that we don't rush the reverence of partaking together of the table of the Lord. And then, of course, we've got the congregational meeting, and we do hope that uh, we can quickly move into that after you've gotten your children and attended anything you need to. It's a very important one, and we don't want the, the events of this morning to drag on, so we would like to move quickly into that. But this morning, our message comes from a single verse. All the main points, well, both of them, and all the sub-points are all taken from one verse of the Bible. Now, we will look at the immediate context, and we will look at the broader context of the rest of Scripture, of course. But everything comes from this one verse. And it's a part of what God has for us as we prepare our hearts for, to receive the pastor-elect that God has prepared for us, Cameron Barham. And so I'd like for you <clears throat> to turn with me in the text. It's in your bulletin printed there. If you don't have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. In Hebrews chapter 13, a few verses after the one we, the ver two verses we looked at last week. Now we're looking not at verses 7 and 8, but at verse 17. Last week's verses talked about those who originally passed down the gospel to the body of Christ, and that's especially the apostolic preaching of the cross. Today, we're looking at a verse that addresses the immediate ministers of God as the officers he's appointed in local congregations like ours. So this one does really directly address our relationship with our pastor and elders in particular, but others as well that God's appointed in the body of Christ here. Let's read together Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. From the 1984 version of the uh, New International Version, hear then uh, the word of God. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. Thus far in God's word, let's pause again, shall we, and ask for him to make it clear to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we've heard your voice. Now we ask that your spirit might speak by his voice in our hearts to illumine our understandings and quicken our wills to obey with whole hearts what you have said to us in order that together we might model before the world what it means to be in community together with Jesus, that he may be honored. And we pray it in his name. Amen. I uh, remember very well uh, the girlhood of a young woman who herself has children now. I shall not name her. 
but when she was very small, when she was three, she was renowned for saying, I can do it by myself. She got a little older, five or six, and she loved to help her mommy bake cookies. And then she got into cakes. Oh, she liked to help her mommy bake cakes. She wanted to be shown how, and uh, nothing would do, but when she was a little older than that, but that she wanted to bake cakes on her own. Do it by herself. And the first time she did that, I may have shared this story before, I remember it so well. First time she did that, she decided she could improve on the instructions. She'd leave out the things she didn't like, baking power eggs, yuck, she didn't like those things. And she would double up on things, triple up on sugar and chocolate, and she mixed it all together. And she baked a cake. And the first person she brought to try the very first piece was her daddy. What do you say? Turns out like that. <laughs> and she had lovingly done this, you know. It was inedible. <laughs> do you lie? It's very good, you know. You can't say that. What do you do? Well, I won't go into all of that. There was a little instruction needed from her mother, and she tasted it herself and learned that there's something to be learned from following the instructions given by someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> well, the church is that way. The head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, has given us instructions. He knows what he's talking about. And he's giving them not for just for his benefit. Yes, it's important that he be honored as we honor him by obeying him. But it's for our good. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Why are you here, I would ask. Why, well, some of you are members, and you'll vote shortly, yes or no, on an important um, decision the congregation faces today. But, but I would ask, why bother? Why be a member of Christ Community Church? Well, maybe it looks good on a political resume, you know, when you're electioneering. I'm a member of such and such church. Well... That's maybe not a bad thing, but it shouldn't be the primary motive, should it, for belonging to a church. Maybe it's just because it's like other clubs, and you collect clubs, you know, Kiwanis and Chess Club, and, oh, going to be a member of Christ Community Church. And I hope it's more than that. Is there a real sense of family? We belong to Jesus, and therefore we belong to each other, and we share a vision for reaching Kennesaw and Ackworth and Marietta and beyond to see the worship of the triune God expressed in missional service changing hearts, lives, and community in northwest Georgia and beyond? Is that what bonds us together and excites us? Is there a sense that in our belonging to each other, the body weeps when a member weeps and the body rejoices when a member is honored. Is, is there that? Why are we part of Christ Community Church? Well, this morning what we have before us is um, something that relates to one of the membership vows. Um, our final membership vow or vows uh, involves promising to support the ministry of the church by our attendance and our giving and our ministry as God enables us and to 
hearken, to listen to the leadership of the church that Christ Jesus raises up. And that doesn't mean that they tell us what color shoes we put on in the morning. That's silly. That's not what they're doing. They don't dictate how we live our lives, but they're examples. In, they are to be examples following Jesus. And we're to follow their example, as we shall see. When we take that vow, it's not just an intention, it's a promise. It's a promise. Do we mean it? Or is this just another voluntary organization like the Garden Club? In the scripture that we have before us in Hebrews 13, 17, we're taught that followers of Jesus are blessed through their submission to his under-shepherds. We'll need to understand carefully what under-shepherds means and what submission means. It's not the way the world uh, interprets or, or uh, would view it. But the, that important truth is established as the Scripture addresses first our obedience and second our benefit. And I'd like for us to look at each of those in turn very briefly this morning. First of all, about our obedience. Believers are called to submit to Christ's leadership through his appointed leaders. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authorities, or some translations say submit to them. The word in authority is not there, but it is certainly implied. But it's not the world's authority, it's a different kind. We'll talk about that in a moment. First of all, notice that leaders do exercise the authority, but what authority? It's authority delegated to them as accountable to Christ himself. Verse 17 says, as men who must give an account. If we were to turn over to a somewhat parallel passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses, we'd read that the apostle Peter says, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder. Now this is an apostle saying, as a fellow elder, I'm appealing to you elders. He says, as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And then he says to elders, be shepherds of God's flock. The word relates to pastors, shepherding elders or shepherds. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. There we are. It's a verb. It's not the same word, but it's one related to the, in, co in content to episkopos, the oversight. Uh, it's translated often bishops. We're not an episcopal congregation. It's hierarchical in that sense. Um, we believe that God raises up elders, and the term elder and pastor and bishop are used together, and I would argue interchangeably in Acts chapter 20 and here in 1 Peter chapter 5, but let's continue. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not Listen, lording it over those entrusted to you. But, again, listen, being examples to the flock. Then this is critical. 
When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's a wonderful promise, a wonderful um, coming blessing and reward for those elders who do their jobs well. But do you notice that it's accountable to the chief shepherd? Shepherds work for someone. <laughs> they work for the chief shepherd. They don't have any authority of their own to be exercised independently of the chief shepherd. Um, I remember when I was uh, a young man and an officer, a line officer in the United States Navy. I was an officer of the deck underway, and uh, uh, I was a, uh, in fleet steaming, and I was a, a command duty officer in port, and, and uh, you know, department head on that ship, and so on. And, and it was a warship, and the commanding officer wasn't always on board when we were in port. Sometimes when we were anchored out at, you know, in a harbor, and uh, so he delegated certain responsibilities—not um, responsibilities, but tasks—and um, authority to those who worked for him. Included in there was something called bi-direction authority. Now let me explain what that meant in the Navy. It meant that you sent out a direct; it, it was from the commanding officer. In this case, USS O'Hare. And uh, at the bottom, signed by S.H. <laughs> Larson, Lieutenant United States Navy. Now, <laughs> that was a significant grade difference, I can assure you. <laughs> I'd have to reach near retirement before I reached that grade. But, but there it was, and, and I put by direction. And that meant it had the captain's commanding officer of that ship had had his authority, and everyone was bound to do it. But here's the thing, it wasn't my authority. It was under his. And whatever I put on there, I'd better be sure he would approve of. Can you imagine? The day I put down April Fool's Day, it was April 1st, and I put April 1st, and I thought everybody will understand this. And commanding officer, letterhead, all hands must hop on one foot today on the quarterdeck. By direction, I signed it. Wasn't funny on board a U.S. warship. It wasn't long before the commanding officer heard about that. I was called into his cabin and appropriately dressed down. <laughs> Why? Because you see, that by direction authority wasn't mine. I had no right to say a thing or require a thing that was not precisely in line with the will and purpose of my commanding officer. Oh, friends, that's just the Navy. I mean, that's it's important in its way, sure, but it's nothing compared to the significance and import of the King of Kings and his kingdom, in which we are members and under which banner we serve. And so our elders have that responsibility. They're under shepherds to be an example and to encourage and sometimes to admonish. And that's important too because we wouldn't want to go astray without someone coming lovingly to us and saying, 
Do you realize what Jesus has to say about it? Do you realize how important it is for your own sake and for everyone around you in the family? How much more the authority conferred by Christ to those entrusted with feeding his flock is to be exercised with due care. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, these words. Also a dispute, we're told, arose among them, the apostles, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Uh-oh. It's the only time they are recorded as ever fussing with each other, and they do it many times. It's who's... Who's first? Who's first? I'm glad we never have that in churches today. What happened then? And listen what happened. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Isn't it the one that is in the world's eyes who sits at the table? But I, I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the meantime, they're to serve tables. Our elders, our pastors, our bishops, as it were, overseers, are those that we discern God has specially gifted and called so that they might as it were, wait on tables in the communion and community of Christ Jesus. There's a reason for the symbolism of our elders sitting here at the front during the communion service, the Lord's table, and bringing it to serve the body of Christ, what that represents. But let's continue. You see, the purpose of their leadership is to watch over God's flock. Verse 17 says, they keep watch over you. Now, that's a different verb, but a parallel meaning to the, to the term episkopos, overseer, or bishop. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul calls for the elders of the church of, of Ephesus to come and meet him in Miletus. And then he addresses them in verse 28 in that uh, narrative and, and urges them to shepherd and feed God's flock. That God has called them to be pastors, shepherds. By the way, elders, shepherds, pastors, overseers, bishops, again is used interchangeably. That all has to do with our obedience. But you see, our benefit is also taught in this verse. Believers are benefited as they respond obediently to Christ's leading through those whom he has appointed. Verse 17, that, there is a reference to an advantage, an advantage to you. 
You see, we stand to lose the benefit of growing through the encouraging and correcting oversight of our leaders if we don't attend to them. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, says, Be followers of me as I follow Jesus Christ. Follow my example, the NIV says, as I follow the example of Christ. See, believers are cautioned to avoid creating heartache for those whose concern is to oversee and encourage their walk with Christ. Uh, Verse 17 speaks of a burden. A burden. Don't be a burden to them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Here's what Paul has to say. Second Corinthians 11, 27, 28. I have labored, says Paul, and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, then he adds this, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I don't feel weak? Who's led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? You see, our leaders carry the weight of care for us as the congregation members. But believers can bring joy to their leaders by responding to them in a Christ-honoring way, verse 17, so that their work may be a joy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, uh, we read these words. For what, Paul writes, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You see, our greatest joy as leaders is to see the gospel bearing fruit in the lives of those we love. As parents, don't we delight in our children's prompt and cheerful obedience, motivated not grudgingly or resentfully, but by a desire from the heart to please us as their parents, to do what is right. By contrast, uh, delinquent delinquent juveniles can bring heart-rending grief to their parents. I uh, remember a pastor, godly man, who raised six children. Five of them... uh, went through seminary and into full-time ministry of some kind or another in the U.S. and beyond in the world, or were married to someone who did. And that brought joy, satisfaction to the heart of that pastor as he saw, you know, remember the Apostle John in his third epistle writes in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. And he knew that. But he had a sixth child, the last of them, a son who was prodigal and whose terrible choices and stubborn lifestyle brought recurring heartbreak to his father, who nevertheless loved him and prayed daily for him until the day he, the father, 
died. But oh, the heartbreak in contrast with the joy. We can be a joy, Christ community, to our King Jesus and to those he places in leadership among us. May we determine to be such a joy. But if you're here this morning <clears throat> among the family, the covenant family of God, worshiping here, uh, associating with us, hearing this message, and you have not come to the place in your own life where you understand what these elements before us that we'll partake of for those who know Jesus in, a, in just a moment, what they stand for and represent why they're given, then I have this message for you. It starts with a relationship with God restored in Jesus Christ as we respond to the good news of what Jesus has done. That he came into the world. In the words of the Apostle Paul, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul says, I am chief. Those of us who know Jesus can identify with Paul's feeling of unworthiness. We do come unworthy to God. He doesn't say, get yourself dressed up, cleaned up, worthy, and then come and see me. He said, come as you are. For only I can clean you. And only I can dress you in righteous robes of Jesus' good works. Fully pleasing to me. None of your own staining it, but only his Clothed in that, I can change you from the inside out. I can make you accepted in the beloved so that you are even now seated with him in the heavenlies by faith in what he has done on the cross about which Paul spoke in his prayer a little earlier today. That when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, it wasn't simply a tragedy in history. It was more. It was the fulfillment of the promise, prophecy of God, that one would die for the people, that the spotless Lamb of God, who had come to save and redeem the world and give his life, take away the sin of the world, had done so on Calvary, that he bore the sin of his people. And that having triumphed over death and the grave by the day of the resurrection and the tomb, the angel rolled away that great stone from the mouth of the tomb, not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in to see. And that he ascended on high after appearing to his disciples. He ascended on high and made, as, we, as Josh read from Colossians chapter 1 this morning, he made a mockery of all the demonic and spiritual powers arrayed against God in heaven and against his people on earth. A sinful people chosen by God in Christ to be redeemed, restored, forgiven because of what Jesus has done. That's the gospel, my friend. If you know God the Father, through that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, then this table is prepared for such as you. 
will speak in a moment of the way in which it is fenced in our community. Fencing the table, that's a, a uh, church speak, uh, theology speak, for simply saying that we give the warning that God's word gives, that only those who are part of the body of Christ, they've, they have been baptized as Christ commanded and our members either here in some church that preaches the gospel then come because this is a table for sinners cleansed and made new by Jesus Christ. Let's pray.